Happy Easter, everyone. I'll tell you, it's a beautiful thing that we have in the church in that when we get these huge solemnities, the main one of the year, of course, is the one we're in right now of Easter, the church doesn't let us just stop with one day. We have what's called the octave. So for eight days, we celebrate as though it is Easter Sunday. So every day this week, especially in the Liturgy of the Hours, we've been repeating some of the beautiful aspects we just heard so beautifully sung in the psalm. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. And that's why, I mean, the sanctuary up here still looks like a beautiful explosion of flowers, and it's like the high altar's on fire with all the candles. I mean, we keep things going for a while and keep singing all the alleluias, and it does sound great today. This is fantastic. Like, all this great stuff, right? It's incredible. But I'll tell you, I think in some ways, and maybe it's just me, but I think it's almost easier to keep things going during Lent than it is during Easter because I think our natural disposition is to kind of like keep fighting the good fight because we know that life is tough out there and it's not easy to keep singing Alleluia every single day and just to keep going with that all the time. Why? Because life is tough, right? And we know that there are a lot of things that face us all of the time. I know every time we get to Christmas, and I wish I could reference an Easter carol, but because the culture doesn't like jump on board with us and sing Easter carols, we only have Christmas carols. So I got to use this as an example. But you know the song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas? You know, there's that line in there, from now on, all our troubles will be miles away. Have you ever noticed on like the evening of December 25th or the 26th, they're still there? Like our troubles are still around, right? And as we've been living through this last couple of days, the octave of Easter, it's not as though like all the problems of the world have now disappeared. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to be like, oh, it's Debbie Downer. Hey, everybody, it's tough out there. But I do find it interesting, and I think it's important to recognize the fact that we are still surrounded by a lot of difficulty. And this time of year, it's not as though the church is like, hey, everybody, get happy. You better not be down. Because our happiness, our joy, our alleluia is rooted in something deep that doesn't get washed away. And the thing is, we have been faced with difficulties all the way from the beginning, from that first Easter Sunday until this very moment. And I'll just point out to you in the readings today, this hit me between the eyes this year in meditating on the readings for this Sunday. This reading we got, the second reading today from the book of Revelation, this is still very early on. This is in the first chapter. And I think maybe it's because he's one of my patron saints, because we have the same name. This opening really hit me. I almost wish that I could have gotten up and read it. Mary did a great job. But listen to this, me saying it to you as your pastor. I, John, your brother, who share with you the distress, the kingdom, and the endurance we have in Jesus. Notice that. John, one of the apostles, one who was there in that upper room when Jesus came in behind the locked doors, who was there when Thomas put his finger into his side, who saw and believed, is saying this, I share with you the distress, 
the kingdom, and the endurance. And notice the ordering that he gives there. The distress comes first. And it's interesting when you get the context of this reading, because it goes right on to, I share with you the distress, the kingdom, and the endurance we have in Jesus, found myself on the island called Patmos. Now here's the thing, John is not on vacation on an island. John was one of the twelve. He's proclaiming the gospel, which runs afoul of the Romans, who sentenced him to death, who boiled him in oil. And if you've ever been to an Italian restaurant, you know that Italians know how to boil things in oil, right? And yet, John was fine. He survived. So what do you do with someone like that? They send him to their penal colony. They send him into exile. And he gathers the other exiles together with him to celebrate the sacraments. Notice when this happens. I was caught up in the Spirit on the Lord's day. When are we together? On the Lord's day. The day that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. When did the disciples first encounter our Lord? On the evening of that first day of the week, the day of the resurrection. When did Thomas finally encounter our Lord? Not on Monday or Tuesday, the next week on Sunday. Gathering together on the Lord's day. And notice that John here, who has seen all of this, still encounters the distress to the point that he brings that up first. And I'm sure you, like me, have noticed in the last week that there is still distress out there, right? Like, it's not as though life just suddenly becomes easy. We are faced all the time with the storms and the tribulations and all the different things that come at us. But the beautiful news for us on this Sunday, in this octave, in the midst of Easter, is what comes second. The distress, the kingdom. Jesus came and gave us the church. Here he is with the apostles in the upper room. He breathes on them, which I know at first blush seems a little bit odd. Why is he breathing on them? Well, if you think back to the creation account, all the way back to Genesis 2, what does God do? He forms man out of the dust of the earth and breathes life into his nostrils. Of course, man takes a whole chapter in Genesis, Genesis 3, to fall. And death is introduced into the world. The distress comes rushing in. But God does not just, you know, wipe his hands clean of us. No, he comes and faces the distress himself head on, right? He faces the worst of what the world has to throw at him. Betrayal and horrible insults and just the way that they treated him and finally all the way to torture and death. And the thing is, if you're trying to just get through this world on your own, the distress just keeps hitting you like tidal waves. It doesn't feel like you're going to overcome it and no one else can either. And so for Thomas... To think about the fact that Jesus Christ has faced this. He saw what was coming on the night he was betrayed. Even if it was from a distance, he knows that he died. And we know about the distress. We all experience it. The apostles experienced it. And Thomas, who by the way, just as an aside, don't call him Doubting Thomas. It just doesn't seem fair, right? It's one time in his life, right? Like, I think I probably stole a candy bar once. Please don't call me John the Thief, you know? Like, these things will happen, right? And yet, I like to call him Talkative Thomas because he speaks up a lot in the gospel, especially when things are difficult. And he says what's logical. 
I'm not going to believe unless I see those wounds. Because there's no way you overcome the distress. It's too real. It's too hard. Except Jesus did. And he has his battle scars. He has his wounds. He has those symbols of his love. That yes, I really did take this on. I really was affected. I really am flesh and blood. This isn't a vision. I'm not a ghost. It's real. And Thomas gets to see that. That the kingdom is present and remains present. We are in the midst all the time of the two of those duking it out. The distress in the kingdom. We all experience it all the time. And the beautiful thing about all of this is that there is something so much deeper than merely kind of putting on a nice veneer. In the same way, back to the Christmas analogy. It's not like, hey, we throw up the tree and then everything's fine in the family. We all get along great. No, we know that that's not the case. A tree doesn't do that. Just like we're not just celebrating with a shiny veneer of flowers and I get to dress up like the infant of Prague and we're all good, right? No, at the heart of it all is because we know that the kingdom has overcome the distress. But the difficulty for us in our day-to-day lives is that distress remains loud. We still have to face it. We still have to endure our crosses. We have to bear them. But here comes, I think, the beautiful conclusion of this trifecta that John gives us. The endurance. Jesus doesn't leave us to face things head-on all by ourselves. He gave us the kingdom. He gave us the church. He breathed on them the Holy Spirit. To do what? To forgive sins for those times when the distress hits us and we are afraid and we choose other things instead of Christ and we feel beat down by the devil in our shame. He gives us that breath of new life. Just like he breathed into the nostrils of our first parents, he breathes a new life of mercy onto us that we can get up again and endure the endurance. And notice how many times we heard today they gathered on the Lord's Day. Even in the first reading. I mean, it doesn't say specifically the Lord's Day, but the apostles are doing what? Gathering together. They come together as the body of Christ. And notice what's happened. Peter, who just a week ago is denying Jesus three times to a servant girl, now, because the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon him, People are literally laying their loved ones down near him so that his shadow might touch him and all that were there were cured. God continues to do incredible things in our midst, continues to give us the sacraments in the church so that we can have that new birth of mercy in the confessional, that we can be fed with Jesus' body and blood, that we can go down with him into the death of baptism and rise to new life just like the apostles. He sent them out, as Jesus said in the upper room, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And we're called to the same thing. I get that the distress is hard. I have a very short-term memory. I forget that yesterday he got me through my difficulties. And I look at the calendar and I think, how in the world am I going to get through this, right? Like, how am I going to do the next thing? How am I going to overcome this distress? But this is the beautiful news for us. The kingdom is present that we may all endure. And thanks be to God, he doesn't make us do it alone. He's given us the church, the body of Christ. Notice that the hardest time for Thomas 
is when he's out there by himself. When we gather together, when we're surrounding the love of Christ, the light of Christ that won't be overcome by the darkness, the devil doesn't stand a chance. Yes, the distress is still very strong, but God gives us what we need to live out what John is talking about, the endurance. My brothers and sisters in Christ, he continues to be with us. Stay close to him and realize the fact he gives us everything we need. And there's new things coming all the time. I'm just going to conclude today in just speaking briefly about the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Look it up. It's incredible. It goes back to Revelations in the 1930s to St. Faustina and Poland and just all this awesome attention that our Lord asked her to spread about his divine mercy and to pray this novena, to pray the chaplet. I started praying it every day, I think like five or six years ago. It's incredible. But the closing prayer speaks exactly to what I'm talking about today and has helped me through many a difficult times in the midst of the distress to remember the kingdom and to endure. And this is that closing prayer. Eternal God, in whom mercy is endless, and the treasury of compassion inexhaustible. Look kindly upon us and increase your mercy in us, that in difficult moments we might not despair nor become despondent, but with great confidence submit ourselves to your holy will, which is love and mercy itself. Amen. Praise be Jesus Christ.